Now, speaking about great things, I was wondering, Lord, what is it that you want uh, me to share about today? We're not starting a new journey yet. We're going to start in a couple of weeks' time after Easter. But really, the fear right now would be that after focusing on developing, finding your spiritual gift, it can become another little blip on our radar and then life goes back to normal. But actually, normal for us as believers should be living a life, a supernatural lifestyle of seeing the mighty hand of God at work in our lives. And so the title that uh, I want to share around today is, there it is, gifts, turning water into wine. Do you know, thousands of years ago, there was this weird prophetic word that Amos shared. And it says this in, in the book of Amos, chapter 9 and verse 13, it says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. In other words, it will be a season of great harvest. But then listen to this. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. Amazing. Thousands of years ago, a prophetic word came. The days are coming. The days are coming of new wine. The days are coming when new wine will flow. And then Jesus came. And Jesus is at a wedding. And his time has not yet come. He hasn't begun his public ministry. He's with his mother. He's with some of his disciples. And they run out of wine. The greatest embarrassment there could be at a wedding would be if you run out of wine. Those weddings lasted a whole week. And his mother goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, you've got to do something. He says, woman, my time has not yet come. And I bet you at that moment, the Holy Spirit dropped into Jesus' heart. Amos chapter, what was it? 9 verse 13. And I bet you in that moment, the Holy Spirit prompted Jesus. And he just thought in his, in his mind, the days are coming when the mountains will drip with new wine. And in John chapter 2, verses 6 to 10, remember that beautiful story? John chapter 2, 6 to 10, it says, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. That's a lot. That's about 100 liters. So this is not just a, a little jug. This is a 100 literish type container. And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, and so they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside, and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best until now. The first of the signs, the first sign that Jesus revealed his glory was to fulfill that exact prophecy from thousands of years ago. New wine is being released. And when Jesus was asked, the Pharisees were challenging him, why do your disciples act differently? Our disciples, what's this big change? And, and Jesus said to them in Matthew 9 verse 17, people don't pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and new wineskin, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. What are we talking about wine? It seems wine was a, a picture of the celebration of this wedding that was coming. Wine was a picture of the celebration that Jesus was here. Something new was beginning. The first sign of his glory being revealed 
was a celebration has begun. When we speak about the wine of the Holy Spirit, what we're talking about is something that brings life and joy. It's a demonstration of God's glory. It's the power of God being released. It's the kingdom of God breaking in to the kingdom of this world. And the prophetic word was that with Jesus will come new wine and newness, life, joy, celebration, victory, power, breakthrough. And church, our job as the body of Christ is to continue the very work that Jesus began. And the first thing Jesus did was to turn water into wine. And guess what, church? Guess what our job is? Our job is to bring this same celebration into our world, into the earth around us, to the people around us, that the joy of the Lord, the victory, the breakthrough of our God would be seen by all. You see, Jesus said this. He said, anyone who comes to me and believes in me, anyone who comes and drinks streams of living water will well up inside of them. And by that, he was speaking about the Holy Spirit. When, when you put your faith in Christ, when you trust Jesus for your salvation, your sins are washed away, you made holy in his sight, and the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. It's the most beautiful gift. It's part of our salvation. And in some ways, like a vessel, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit, filled to the brim with this new water. But now Jesus is saying, I don't want you just to be full. I want you to become a vessel of new wine to others. Now here's the picture that I want us to catch hold of today. You see, Jesus said to the, the servants, he said, you see those, those big stone jars standing in the corner? They were used for uh, religious ceremonies, hand-washing ceremonies, and I kind of thought to myself, church, what would you want to be? Do you want to be a, a vessel for religious ceremony? Or do you want to be a vessel of new wine that's a blessing to others? This is the challenge I want each of us to hold. This is the question that I want to get inside of you today. This is the question for some of you. I want it to haunt you, to hold you, to grab you, to challenge you, to tease you. I want you to ask yourself this question. Do I want to come to church as a religious vessel for religious ceremony? Or do I want to be a vessel of new wine that can be a blessing to others? You see, what we're talking about today, now that we've looked at this gifted series, we're saying, Lord, how does that fullness of the Holy Spirit, my relationship with Jesus, how does that become new wine as a blessing to the people around me? Amen. So that's where we're going this morning, and uh, I've got about 15 minutes to get there. So uh, let me dive straight in. I want to look at one of my favorite verses about Jesus, which to me is a beautiful example of Jesus himself coming, not just as the, the living water of God, but the very wine of the bridegroom to come and bring celebration and joy. John chapter 1 and verse 14. I want you to throw it up on the screen, and I'd love to look at it with you. There it is, John 1 verse 14. It says the word, speaking about Jesus, notice the capital letter. This is not just words on a page. This is Jesus, the living word of God. It says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. I want to talk to you today about becoming a vessel of new wine that's a blessing to others. Turning our gifting, now that we've learned about giftedness, turning our gifting into the blessing of new wine for the people around us. Number one, I believe it starts here where it says the word became flesh. You see, it's one thing to read the Bible 
It's another to discover the living word of God and to draw faith and life from his word. This is one of the biggest steps. Now, I'm super encouraged just to hear that a Christian opens their Bible every day and reads. I'm already saying, thank you, Jesus. That's a big step forward. But really what I want to encourage you is to take the next step forward. You see, the Bible... It is words on a page, but it's more than that because the Word of God is living and active and powerful. Within those words on the page is the very life and power of God, and you have been designed to harvest the life of God out of His Word. I, re- I want you to picture, because it's so easy to, to think of the Bible like any other book. It's lots of words and not all of them make sense. I want you to be picturing the Word of God as when God spoke, let there be light and there was light. You see, remember, every word of God carries the power to fulfill the word that God has spoken. Did you get that? Every word of God carries within it the life and power of God to do the very thing that God has just said. Remember, there's always the paperclip. There's always the attachment to the email. When God says, love your enemies, within that command of God is his power and grace to be able to do what you thought was impossible. So instead of fighting God's word, when we take his word, repent to his word, submit to his word, it releases the life of his word to do what we could never do by ourselves. Now the challenge for us, if we want water to become wine, is to move from just reading the Bible to learning to harvest the very life of God within his word. My dream for every one of us is that we would learn to cultivate the discipline, not of reading, but of meditating, of chewing on God's word. I want you to have the faith that even when you read Leviticus or Numbers or one of those books in the Bible where you think, well, cook, this makes no sense to me. I want you to have the faith to know inside those words of the life and power of God waiting to be harvested. And the way we harvest the life of God from his word is through this little thing called meditation. Psalm 1, remember my favorite psalm. Psalm 1 verses 2 and 3. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord or the word of the Lord. And who meditates on his word day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Think about it. Learning to meditate on God's word is literally like the roots of your spirit going into the stream of life. As you meditate, as you mull over God's word, as you ponder it, as you think, as you're saying, Holy Spirit, what does this mean? As you're lying on bed at night, instead of worrying about your bank account, you're meditating on scripture. And as you're meditating, it's like the roots of your spirit going into the life of God. What are you saying, Lord? How does this work? What does this look like? Planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. There we go. That's where fruitfulness comes from. If you want to live a fruitful life, it comes from learning to meditate on his word, pondering his word, thinking about his word. You want a fruitful marriage, meditate on what the Bible says about marriage. If you want a business that is fruitful, find the word of God that speaks about business and it does and meditate on it because within the word is the fruitfulness of God. And whose leaf does not wither. And the Bible tells us in in Revelation, it tells us in Ezekiel that the leaves, the leaves are for the healing of the nation. There's healing in the word of God. And whatever they do, prospers. So I've become a prosperity preacher. If you want to prosper, meditate on the word of God. I love this in uh, 
Acts chapter 7 and verse 38, speaking about Moses, it said he was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on to us. That's God's desire. If we want to become vessels of new wine, it starts when living words. You see, when you receive living words, you'll get to the factory different. Because now God's word is alive inside of you. You'll carry a faith, you'll carry a fire, you'll carry a passion, which will spread and impact others. Let me talk about number two. We're talking about how does, how does water become wine? It starts when his word goes from written word to living word. But secondly, we've been talking about this for weeks now. How do you get, how, how did the servants get the water out of these big stone vessels and to the people. Well, obviously they took a cup or a bar, a jar or something. How does God get the living water out of us and to people? He uses spiritual gifts. That's what they're there for. That gift of encouragement. How does the living word of God become life to others? Through spiritual gifts. That's why this is so crucial. If we want to be a church that's delivering the life of God to desperate people, it needs all of us choosing to use our spiritual gifts for His glory. And it doesn't matter whether it's prophecy, encouragement, serving, mercy, teaching, leadership, generosity, whatever it is, your gift carries the life of God to desperate people. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Church, please don't be lazy. Please don't be lazy with your spiritual gifts. Church, please don't be that parable where people are given the talents and some used them and said, and received the well done, good and faithful servant, and some buried them. And Jesus rebuked him and said, wicked, lazy servant, don't let any outlooker ever stand in the doorway of heaven one day and receive a wicked, lazy servant. Why didn't you use the gifts that are put inside of you? Come on, church, we've got one life, one opportunity. Let's not waste a day of serving God for his glory and honor. But let me talk uh, thirdly. We're talking turning water into wine. If we want to experience and minister the, the life and power of God, it, it says, Jesus, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus had to completely submit himself to the will of the Father for his life. I know it sounds so simple, but in the kingdom of God, one of the most powerful forces there is, is the power of submission in our lives. Have you ever wondered why submission is like a swear word in our culture nowadays? People hate hearing the word submission. It's like, an e no, no. It's because it's one of the most powerful forces in the kingdom of heaven. And this is not a woman thing. This is a child of God thing. Jesus was the most submitted person in the history of the world, and God exalted him to the highest position in all of the world, in the heavens and the earth. You see, submission leads to promotion. Submission is a yielding of our hearts to the will of the Father for our lives. I was uh, reminded of the fact that down at, at Alkenstrand, if you obviously, I'm sure you know the beach quite well, you know the, the long pier that goes out into the ocean. 
And, and what that pier does is it normally causes quite a, a rip current along the inside of it. Now that rip current, depending on whether you know the sea or not, can be a blessing or a curse. To the surfers, it's a blessing. Because most of the surfers, they'll know that that's your passage out to backline. Instead of bashing your way through all of the waves, you can position yourself on your board in the rip current. And as you gradually paddle, that rip current will take you out to backline and you can surf and you can do it again and again. The power of a rip current. Tragically, it's been the demise of, of too many people who don't understand it, don't understand the rules of swimming in the sea, get sucked into a rip current, and it must be the most terrifying thing being dragged out by a rip current and trying to swim against it because it's to no avail. Now my point is this. In the kingdom of God, there's a rip current. In the kingdom of God, there's a current called the grace of God. Now it tells us twice, once in Peter, once in James, it says very clearly, God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And we, just like the surfers, just like the bathers, you're going to make a fundamental choice in life. Whether you want to align yourself with God's grace or whether you want to oppose it. Let me use Sam, just because you're the most handsome guy. Sam, why don't you come and, come and stand here, here quickly. Now... Sure, yes, yes. Now, 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 why don't you face me here? Now, pretend for a moment I'm God. I'm not. I, I know you like the shirt, but I'm not. It was a gift from Columbia. But can you imagine the hand of God? Now, now, I want you to advance this way towards me. Now, try harder. Try harder. Try harder. But here's the problem. If, if, there's, if there's pride in your heart, not saying there is, but if there was pride in your heart, God is very clear. He says, I'm going to resist it. I'm going to resist it. You can blame the devil, you can shout, you can call it spiritual attack, but the only spiritual attack is from God because God says, I will resist the proud. And sometimes we spend our whole lives going nowhere because we're still too stubborn and proud to finally lay it down and say, Lord, I surrender. But then you hear this message and you just repent. Well done for repenting. Confess your sin. Turn around. <laughs> and now where's the hand of God? Now the hand of God is like helping you along and accomplishing great things. Thanks, Sam. Well done. You're amazing. Now, what's the point? There is a current in the kingdom of God. And if we want water to become one, we need the grace. Remember, the great, these gifts are grace gifts. We can position our lives with humility or stubborn pride. Church, we want to be a blessing to our city, to our region, to the nations. Submission to God. Next one's just important. It said, uh, fourthly, it said Jesus came not from heaven. It says Jesus came from the Father. So we, I mean, we think, Jesus, surely you came from heaven to come and be a blessing. Yeah, he did, but that's not primarily where he came from. It said, we've seen the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, here's the thing. If we want our lives to, to be that living water that becomes one, the power of God, bringing impact and change to the people around us, the question is, where do you come from? When you get to the factory tomorrow morning, are you coming from home or are you coming from the presence of of your father. When you, when you go out and do anything, are you, are you coming from work? Are you, Jesus came from 
the Father. You see, it's at the Father. That's where His grace, that's where intimacy, that's where His power. In fact, twice in the Bible, it speaks about the river of God. It speaks about it in Ezekiel. It speaks about it in Revelation. Now, in both times when it speaks about the river of God, it describes where the source of the river is. Do you know where it is? The throne of the Father. You see, it's from the throne of the Father, that that living water that we wanted to become one. That's where the river flows from. So if we want to get to the very source of life, we go back to intimacy with our Father. See, I've been challenged. Remember we preached that, that series about, uh, about the letters in the book of Revelation. And still the one that challenges me the most was the letter to this church in Ephesus. Where they were doing so many good things. They were holding church meetings and conferences and this and that. But Jesus says, but this is what I have against you. You've lost that first love. You've allowed your religious busyness and ministry to become more important than intimacy with me. Church. Water becomes wine from a place of intimacy with our Father in heaven. If we want to live lives that reflect the glory of our God, it comes from intimacy with the Father. And let me land with this one. We've spoken about for water to become wine, reading the word needs to become the living word of God. We spoke about spiritual gifts the place of being submitted to the Holy Spirit out of intimacy with the Father. But it says, and we've seen the glory of the one full of grace and truth. I think you're just like you make Oros by taking some, uh, some concentrate, adding water, add them together, and bam, there's the perfect Oros. I suppose, yeah, you need to add ice to really get it perfect, but that's beside the point. What does wine taste like? I don't really know because I don't drink wine. That's beside the point. My point is this. In the kingdom of God, this wine that we're speaking about is when grace and truth come together perfectly, that's the wine of God. You see, grace is beautiful, but it's truth that sets free. But truth without grace can cut and hurt and damage. But grace without truth can be encouraging and comforting, but you're never going to grow because it's truth that sets you free. The glory of Jesus is that he was not 50-50, he was 100-100. He was 100% truth, never compromised. He is the living word of God. But it came packaged in 100% grace, which is why sinners loved him, which is why those, the world had given up, were drawn to Jesus because they found in him encouragement and comfort and hope. And for us, The world doesn't need more religious Christians who hate this and stand against this and oppose that. What they need is uncompromising people who absolutely love the truth of Jesus. And we will not compromise the the truth of Jesus. But we're a people full of the grace of God. When that woman was dragged to Jesus, she was caught in the act of, of adultery. She must have been humiliated. And she's dragged by all these religious men in front of Jesus and said, they're trying to trap Jesus and they're using her to try and drive their point home. They said, Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery. The law says we should stone her. What do you say? And Jesus said, you're right. Go for it. Whoever hasn't sinned, throw that stone. And he just kept on writing on the ground. And you know the story if you've read your Bible, one by one, 
the religious leaders realized, yikes, maybe he was writing their names on the sand. Who knows? Maybe he was writing the names of some other woman who had committed adultery. And when they saw those women's names, they left. The point is, one by one, everyone left until there was no one left to condemn her. And Jesus looks at the woman and he said, woman, where, where are those who condemn you? And she says, there's no one. And then Jesus looks at her and he says, I'm not going to condemn you either. Now stop this life of sin. And you see, Jesus showed in that moment this incredible beauty of he didn't compromise. He didn't say, oh, you know what, it's okay. I'm going to die on the cross for your sin anyway. Keep No, no, stop. Sin is going to destroy you. Sin will destroy your relationships. It destroys your health. It destroys your inheritance. You never want to manage and play with sin. But I'm not going to condemn you. And when grace and truth come together, the wine of God is released. Church, we've done a series on gifted. You know the spiritual gifts inside of you. Those gifts, like little jugs, can take the water out of the vessel and it becomes wine to the people around us. Jesus has done the work on the cross so that we can be a people full of the living water of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Now, let's not let that water stagnate inside of us. Let's be a people where water becomes wine to the glory of our Father in heaven. Amen? Why don't you stand with me, please? Thank you, Jesus. Let's close our eyes for a moment. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, you made it available. You made it possible that we can be full of the water of the Holy Spirit, lives overflowing for you. And Father, I pray that this would become a family, a church, a people where water becomes wine where those who are desperate and downcast, where those who are needing healing, needing encouragement, needing hope, would find a people full of grace and truth. Father, we want to come and submit to you this morning, just surrendering our hearts before you. Come, Lord Jesus. We don't want to be religious vessels who just play religious ceremonies and games. We want to be a people who bring the wine of our God to a desperate world. Thank you, Jesus. Just where you are this morning with your eyes closed, I want to encourage you to make a fresh commitment to the Lord. Here's the question. Do you want to be a religious vessel for religious ceremonies? Or do you want to be a carrier of the wine of God to bring joy and refreshing and life to the people around us? Because if that's you this morning, why don't you in a fresh way dedicate yourself to the Lord? Here am I, Lord. Use me. Thank you, Jesus. Friends, maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you've never received the salvation of Jesus. Maybe you've never come to that place of putting your faith and trust in Jesus, saying, Jesus, I want to follow after you. Maybe you've never received the love of your heavenly Father, never discovered the purpose and passion and, that he has for your life. If that's you this morning, we would love to pray for you. We would love to help you start a journey of following after Jesus. And so we're going to be praying for people right now. And I would love you to come and say to me, Pastor, hey, I, I want to start this journey. All of us have been there. Some of you are trusting God for healing. And we trust in God that water becomes wine, which means we'd love to pray for you, lay hands on you, and trust for that healing. So if you do need prayer in any way, you're welcome to come and join us right now. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your incredible love. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you not just for your gracious hand that rests upon us, but for your mighty hand that wants to work through us in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. We do.